Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, welcome back. We're on episode 53, and we are talking about The Wicked Deep today by Shay Earnshaw. So summer always makes me feel lighter and a little more lighthearted. So I've been trying to keep the reading a little light because I love the beach reads and winter is plenty dark and there's plenty of times to get into the darkness. This is definitely a darker book with darker themes, but it is YA. So I still consider YA, even with a dark theme, still kind of a lighter and easier read. Fall is definitely coming soon and it's coming fast. The days are already getting shorter, which is kind of nice for sleeping in later, but I am also kind of missing the sunshine. It might be a little too soon, but I have also taken the step and turned off my air conditioning. (laughs) I try to be frugal though, so I like to turn it on as late as I can and turn it off as early as I can. Same with the heat. I'll be holding off turning that on as long as I can, which once we start getting into Wisconsin fall and winter, it might not be that long. (laughs) It's some of the benefits of being alone is that I can keep my heat off a little longer this year and save a little money. I mean, really, if you're cold, just put on a sweatshirt, grab a blanket, snuggle up. That's the way to go. We don't have to heat the whole house just because somebody's a little chilly. (laughs) There's easy ways to keep warm. And being in Wisconsin, I know how to do that. Still working on that healthy balance that I talked about. I'm so proud of myself because I worked out twice yesterday, but then I was tired and I didn't feel like cooking, so we ordered pizza. I am definitely going to be trying to be cooking tonight, so it's a little healthier. I made some chicken breast, so we'll probably have the chicken and that'll be a little bit healthier, though I did have a piece of that pizza as a snack today too. But I did work out and I also took the dogs on a walk this morning. Which, speaking of fall, I'm wearing a hoodie when I take a dog's, the dogs for a walk, which is crazy. And I love hoodie weather. Just seems like it's coming maybe a little too quickly. <laughs> so I'm definitely not anywhere perfect with eating all the pizza, but I think I've got a pretty good life. And it honestly keeps getting better, too. I will admit that as my birthday gets closer, I can understand why people don't like getting older. You know, there's definitely more creaks and cracks and my eyesight keeps getting worse and worse. And honestly, it was never that good to begin with. So the older I get, the better things get for me. So I'm going to keep moving forward and keep being positive about it. For the booze this week and this witchy dark book, I thought red wine would be the perfect pairing. Red wines are definitely my go-to as far as Italian food, steak, witchy themes, thrillers, and I wanted to try something new, so I checked out Total Wine, and I got a couple bottles to try, and this was one of them. I picked the Ropato Pinot Noir for this pairing, which it's rated number 15 of the top 20 wines of 2022, and I can definitely see why. It's from a French winery that was established in 1848. And I was supposed to taste like cherry and berry flavors. I could definitely pick out like the berry flavor. And it was nice and smooth, not so much of the cherry-ish for me. The wine is 12% ABV and is considered like a light body wine. And it was good, but it was lighter than you would think. So when you think sometimes red wine, you think that velvety, rich, 
red wine. And this definitely had a lighter flavor to it and just a lighter mouthfeel. Total Wine suggested it would be a good match for grilled veggies, bruschetta, pork. I was craving some good cheese, so I paired it with a cranberry cinnamon goat cheese and some crackers. But that bruschetta pairing sounds good. Like I said, red wine and Italian food always go together. So as far as the author Shay Earnshaw, The Wicked Deep was her debut novel. And I haven't read anything else by her, so I wasn't sure what to expect when I found her page. And I loved her bio from the first sentence. (laughs) This is directly from her webpage. Quote, I live in an imaginary world. And sometimes I live in a small mountain town in Oregon. Okay, so doesn't that sound amazing? I think that sounds amazing. A small mountain town in Oregon, maybe not too small for me, close enough to the big city. Back to her bio, sorry. I've been writing stories and crafting characters since I was young, filling notebooks with stories about magical horses and eerie underworlds. I always knew I wanted to be a writer, and I was lucky enough to grow up in a house filled with books where my parents were always reading or painting or ruminating about the cosmos. Now I share my home with my husband, a grouchy editor cat, and two elderly dogs. I love lakes, deep dark woods, and delicious vegan pastries. So her bio feels a little bit like that magic she writes, and I definitely related because I too filled notebooks and notebooks full of stories when I was growing up. Earnshaw has also written Long Live the Pumpkin Queen, A Wilderness of Stars, Winterwood, and the adult novel A History of Wild Places. She also has a pronunciation of her name, which is Shay, and she says about the pronunciation, quote, I often get asked how to pronounce my first name. Think shea butter, the ingredient in many lotions and soaps, although I'm not usually as sweet and buttery, but sometimes. (laughs) So I love her little personality that she puts into her bio and then the pronunciation. And I also love her website. It's really beautiful and really professionally done. There is a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. But there wasn't a whole ton on her. There's no Wikipedia that I found, and there's not much around about her. So that's about as much as I got as far as a bio goes. So let's dive into the book right away. This book was Earnshaw's debut novel and was released March 6, 2018. And I didn't hear about it until 2020. And one of my best friends bought it for me during the pandemic. She is so sweet. She's always buying me like the best gifts, even though she doesn't need to, but she knows what I like and she's always picking up the coolest stuff for me. It's like she's got this great radar for stuff that I'm going to (laughs) love. So because she's so wonderful, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I did not read it until now. I knew I was going to and I've picked it up a few times and I almost started it several times, but I just didn't for some reason. I've got this beautiful hardcover copy that's like a dark navy with iridescent letters, and it's so beautiful, and it was haunting me. I finally picked it up because I've been meaning to read it, and I figured it was a good time for a YA novel before I jump into the heavier books of fall. I love the premise. It's a story of Penny Talbot, who lives on an island with her mother. She goes to school at the nearby town of Sparrow, Oregon. And Sparrow has a dark history in its legend of the Swan Sisters. The Swan Sisters came to the coastal town and were drowned as witches. Legend has it that the sisters come back every summer to exact their revenge, drowning young men in the water each summer. 
a young stranger, Bo Carter, comes to town and soon discovers that it's more than just a legend. I love the premise and I love the idea, but the first big plot hole for me was, especially as a mother to a young son, why in the heck would anybody stay in that town, especially if they have a son? And also, the witches are said to inhabit the young girls to lure the men or the boys to their deaths. So whether you have a son or a daughter, if you have a child, why would you want them possibly to become a murderer? So Penny kind of explains in a way as the town recognizing the penance that they must pay for harming these young women. But I still don't see how anyone in their right mind would think that it's okay and would be putting their child at risk. So that one was a big kind of plot hole for me. (laughs) I can see staying if you didn't believe in the legend, but multiple teenage boys dying each summer would be proof enough for me that something strange is going on. And even if I didn't think it was like a supernatural thing, at the very least, I would be like, there's some murderer serial killer who's coming around just at this time every single year to kill these boys. <laughs> or in like what we've talked about before, the supposed smiley face killer um, with the young men who are getting drunk and drowning. I, I don't think that that's happening, but there's enough going on that there is some suspicion. (laughs) I've talked about the need to suspend reality in reading. So if you're one of those people who has a hard time with big plot holes, I'd say skip this one. There are a number of them, but this one is definitely the biggest. So even despite this, I continued reading. The setting is amazing. And I loved Earnshaw's descriptions of Penny on the island, taking care of the lighthouse, taking the boat to school. I clearly envisioned this small island with their home, the caretaker's cottage, and the orchard. Sparrow seems like a beautiful and quaint little town that I'd love to visit and browse the shops along Main Street. It's like that perfect small town that is so common in books. And of course, Sparrow is different due to the Swan Sisters' revenge. It seems so morbid that the town then celebrates the return of the Swan Sisters with a festival, I guess maybe they're not celebrating the return, but they do have this festival which brings travelers and tourists from all over who are obsessed with like that dark legend and local history. Again, as a parent, I can't imagine staying in the town. Even the tragedy of at least three young boys dying each summer would be a lot for my heart to handle. I don't know how you can just ignore that and keep moving on with life. Sparrow has a population of 2,024, so I looked up a similar small town in Wisconsin just to kind of get an idea because I wanted to have a better grasp in my mind of that. And in that town, 22% of the population was under the age of 18. So that's 445 children. The Swan Sisters take the lives of boys their age, so approximately between the ages of 15 and 18. If half of them are boys and you take into account their ages, you're looking at a pool of maybe like a 100 boys. Even with the tourists, I don't like those odds. There wouldn't be a whole lot of boys left at the school either. Even if they're taking out a lot of tourists, they're still taking out the locals too. And Penny at one point says, you don't know which of the boys that you are going to school with is going to die that year. People are definitely not flocking to small towns, but 
I would think especially not small towns where the teenage boys are dying in such high numbers. Moving aside from that as well, the town is typical in the way that outsiders are often not very welcome. When Bo arrives, Penny is hesitant to hire him, even though she needs help at the lighthouse, but ends up doing it when she realizes he's not going to get work anywhere else because he's an outsider, so no one will hire him. Bo has a hidden agenda for his arrival in Sparrow, one that's pretty predictable. This is a YA novel after all, so I'm willing to forgive that part of it. I do love how easily Earnshaw's writing makes it seem like both Bo and Penny are intriguing mysteries in and of themselves and as people. I think in truth, people can be enigmas. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has secrets. One of the draws of YA writing, in my opinion, is that the reader can put themselves in the position of the main character, who is most often unique, strong, and interesting. There is real magic happening in the book. But Earnshaw has an interesting relationship with magic that I'm not sure I understand. The Swan Sisters are thought to be witches by the townsfolk, but they adamantly deny even to themselves that what they do is not, quote, real magic. So I'm not really sure what Earnshaw considers, quote, real magic. But there is mention one of the sisters performing a hex, and I definitely consider a hex real magic. <laughs> she she talks about the difference between real magic and just like old legends or old wi- old wives' tales and things like that. And I honestly don't think there is really much of a difference between that. I think it's all intertwined as magic. I think there was a real missed opportunity by Earnshaw to delve more into this or even express her views more clearly whether or not they are her own views or whether they're her character's views. She touches on other magic in the story with Penny and her mother being able to read tea leaves, but she doesn't really clarify if she considers that the real magic. Penny's best friend's mother owns a shop called Forgetful Cakes, where she makes cakes that help people forget their worst memories. Earnshaw is very clear that these cakes that are not helping Penny's mother forget Penny's father who disappeared a couple years earlier, but she's very elusive to if they work on others. To me, it felt like she was trying to write something with more magical realism, but it is straight up magic that the Swan Sisters come back each year and inhabit the bodies of the young women in town. The Swan Sisters themselves are not sympathetic characters. Again, I think Earnshaw missed an opportunity here to make a point that I think she was trying to make and missed. I feel like she wanted to make a statement about how people will go along with a crowd and how innocent women were targeted and are still targeted. While the Swan Sisters shouldn't have been drowned, they were most definitely witches in my opinion. (laughs) They may or may not have been good people in life, but they certainly aren't in death. Maybe she wasn't trying to write sympathetic characters. And again, I don't think the book is make or break based on whether or not they're sympathetic characters. I'm just really not certain of her goals as a writer and what story she was trying to tell with the Swan Sisters themselves. So can you just tell a story? Absolutely. But I think that too kind of missed the mark based on those plot holes. The writing was good, even though the story was shaky. There was a line one of the characters said that, quote, he reminds me of someone who has left his past behind. And I loved that because I want to be a person who leaves their past behind. 
lessons. I mean, learn from it, but I just, I want to be a person who has left that past behind. So that really jumped out at me. <laughs> also, one of the Swan sisters said, if love were so easily conjured, there wouldn't be so many broken hearts. And that one hit me too, because yeah, love can definitely be a challenge. I think it's a challenge worth trying for and it's a risk worth taking, but it's true. If it was so easily conjured up, then we wouldn't be all hurting so much due to love. (laughs) So spoiler alert ahead, skip ahead, maybe like a minute or so if you don't want to hear it. But Bo ends up falling in love with one of the Swan sisters. And to me, this was pretty ridiculous. First of all, how do you fall in love with a lie? Once that lie comes to light, you have to reassess your emotions. And while you can't just stop your emotions, I can promise that what you're feeling isn't love when you love someone or something that isn't even real or isn't even what you thought it is. Because how can you love something that doesn't actually even exist? The idea is great. And I love the setting. I love the ideas behind the shops and characters. I could even forgive its predictability considering it's a YA novel and I'm an adult woman, (laughs) but it just wasn't executed well enough for me. There were too many plot holes that didn't make sense, like why any family would stay, the lack of clarity about magic, the completely unrealistic love story. Even for a YA novel, I thought it was completely unrealistic. And it happens so, so fast. Like it's like two days and they're in love. (laughs) And the stability of the population overall with the sisters killing teenage boys. There's so many questions that I would still have and so many questions that I would ask Penny like, what the hell, girl? This does not make sense. (laughs) Netflix did buy the rights to the story, and it's been a while and nothing's come of it, so it's hard to say if they'll ever do a show on the book. I would probably watch the show based on the story and hope they just cleaned up things up a little bit. And maybe that's why they haven't done anything, because it might be kind of hard to clean up some of those things, some of those plot holes and storylines where you're like, Mm, This is a little confusing, but I think they could do something as like a series that might be kind of interesting. Honestly, overall, this is the lowest score I've given a book since I've started this podcast, and I had to give it a 2 out of 5. Goodreads actually gives it a 3.85, and I was a little surprised on that, but it is a YA novel. And some of the other reviewers said, there is one thing I absolutely loved about this book, the atmosphere. And I said that, and I can totally still agree with that. Another reviewer said, quote, if I could give this book a thousand stars, I swear I would. The romance in this one was cute. And they really liked the supernatural world that Earnshaw had created. I will say that the relationship between Penny and Bo was really cute. It just is so unrealistic. And just the lies are are really disturbing. And that to me was super unrealistic and, and a big issue that I had with the book. Another reviewer said, quote, hocus pocus vibes are off the charts. Predictable, but the ap- absolute strength in the book lies in its atmosphere. And again, I definitely agree with the predictability and the atmosphere of the book. Someone else said that the mystery of the Swan Sisters, quote, felt completely unique and original, which is a breath of fresh air since I predominantly read YA books. And I would agree with that. I really loved the premise. I did think it was unique and original, and it really could have been 
an amazing book. And especially because I feel like Earnshaw is a good writer. It's just, it felt like that story wasn't fully fleshed out. Could have been a little edited better based on some of those plot holes. But I loved the uniqueness and I loved the originality of it for sure. Another one was, quote, the love story is a bit too much and happened too fast. Yep, I agree. <laughs> but other than that, I really enjoyed this book. Okay, I I didn't. I mean, I got through it quickly and I wanted to pick it up. But for me, it was really about halfway through when it started going downhill. The first half of it, I was enjoying and then it got a little too crazy and unrealistic for me. Even if I, even though I tried in the first half to overlook the whole thing about so many boys dying. So most reviewers agree that the atmosphere and the writing were really well done. For me, it just wasn't enough to make up for the execution of the story. But again, it is YA and I'm not the target audience. So keep that in mind if you're thinking of picking this one up. I'm definitely going to loan it to one of my best friend's daughters because she is a big reader and I want her to read it and see what she thinks of the story. Maybe I'm totally off on this one. I honestly would read more of Earnshaw's books since I loved the idea and her writing style was enjoyable. If I do, I'll let you know what I think of her other books. Maybe since this was her debut novel, her other books are a little better executed. Plus she does have an adult novel too, which I might be interested in picking up. Media recommendations this week, Maggie on Hulu. So I'm still having moments where I'm feeling a little sorry for myself. So this cute comedy on Hulu was perfect for my mood. It's the story of a psychic named Maggie who is unlucky in love. She meets a man who she does a reading for and ends up seeing herself getting married to him and having a family with him. She panics and runs away. He, of course, ends up moving in with his on-again, off-again girlfriend in the same building that Maggie lives in, which her parents own. So I'm not very far into it, but it is cute and lighthearted, and it's that just you know, comedy that I really need right now to not think too much. <laughs> a little bit on the deeper side, also Love After Lockup, which is on All Black, which is an add-on of Prime. So after listening to the hosts of Small Town Murder podcast talk about this constantly for like a number of episodes, I decided to watch this. I mean, it makes me feel better about myself, which isn't that why we watch reality TV sometimes? <laughs> no matter how messed up my life may be, it's not that messed up. <laughs> Love After Lockup is about people who have become pen pals with inmates and then start a relationship with those inmates. The show follows the story of them after they get out of prison and it's just as drama filled as you would expect. I had to stop watching because it just got so sad. It's kind of the same thing over and over again. People who've been hurt and are still damaged, and they're just looking for someone to love and looking for love in the wrong place. I would also show, say the show makes women look insane. <laughs> yes, there are some guys in the show that are nutty, but it really makes women look bad. Not all women are like that. <laughs> I watched about three seasons and then I had to quit, but it was interesting for a while. And I'd say worth checking out if you need a little distraction from real life. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don'treaddrunk. You can email me at don'treaddrunk at gmail.com or check out my website, don'treaddrunk.buzzpro.com. There is no apostrophe in any of those don'ts. Also, this is a hobby podcast, so any support is truly appreciated. 
You can do a one-time donation using PayPal with my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. The link is in the show notes. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at One Up Till Sun Up, who created the music. That's the number one, U-P-T-I-L-S-U-N-U-P. You can find Aaron and One Up Till Sun Up on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Also, Avenue Coffee House, who keeps me going with my English breakfast tea. I just got some this morning, and it had been a couple days, so it tasted really good. (laughs) You can find them on Facebook and their website, avenue-coffeehouse.com. They have also opened up a new coffee shop, Supernova, which is downtown Milwaukee. They also make these amazing homemade donuts. Totally worth it. So check them out. Next episode, we're going to be talking about Action Park, fast times and wild rides, an untold story of America's most dangerous amusement park by Andy Mulvihill and Jake Rosen. Bye and talk to you soon.